Our sermon this morning is on the parable of the dishonest manager, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It's one of the trickiest passages in the whole Bible to interpret. It's one of those passages where you read it, um, and at first glance, you kind of one, you do a double take. You're like, did Jesus really say that? What is he like? Is he saying what I think he's saying? I'm not entirely sure how to, how to handle it. There, you know, if anyone comes up and says, I have a question about a, a verse in Romans, then I'm, you know, there's any number of them, but I'm thinking it's probably about Romans 9, God's sovereignty, free will. Dude, did we choose God or did God choose us? They say, I have a question from the book of Hebrews. Again, could be any number of them, but maybe Hebrews 6, where, Jesus, or where, where the author of Hebrews seems to imply that you can lose your salvation. But we know from other passages in the Bible that you can't lose your salvation. It's not possible, so we have to like, figure out what it means. If they have a question in the book of Luke, I'm thinking it's probably Luke 16. It's probably the parable of the dishonest manager because it's just tricky. It's weird, and it's, it's tough to know exactly what's being said and to like, uh, synthesize that in a way that doesn't... Um, I don't know. We'll, just, we'll read it and we'll just kind of uh, think, it through, think it through together. So I'll read Luke 16, 1 to 13, and then we'll just spend some time uh, considering it. It reads, He also said to the disciples, it's Jesus speaking, He said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management. Because you cannot be, you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bell, your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. And to another, he said, how much do you owe? And he said, oh, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful with very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have, been faith, or if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would bless this time as we study and reflect on and seek to understand your word. Lord, please give us clarity as we read and listen. Please give us humility as we uh, seek to implement and obey. Lord, we love you and we, we want to obey you and we pray that you would help us to obey you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so see what I mean, right? When we, when we read through it, it's, uh, it's a little weird. It's a little bit tricky. You probably leave Luke 16 thinking, did I, did I read that right, right? It, it sounds like this manager is a, a 
criminal, a, a crook, right? It seems like he's, uh, you know, Im- he's shady. He's embezzling money, but it also seems like he gets commended by the, the boss, by, by the wealthy man. It's almost like Jesus is holding him up as the hero of the passage, saying, be like this guy, be like this dishonest manager, uh, even though he is a pretty shady character. Of course, Jesus made up the parable on the spot, so he could have made the, he could have made the characters be as good as he wanted. Like it, it raises the question, why would Jesus intentionally make up a, a bad, immoral, shady character and then use that guy as the, the example that we are supposed to uh, emulate? So it's, again, it's just, a, it's just a, it's an enigmatic text and it's kind of tough to, to think through. But we're going to try our best. Verse 1, he also said to the disciples, there was a rich man or a manager. Charges were brought against him that he was wasting his possessions. This manager is a bad guy. He's untrustworthy. He is stealing from his boss. His, uh, you know, managers uh, had, you know, power of attorney, right? Authority over the entire uh, estate. They could transact business on behalf of the person that they were, were working for. And this guy is uh, stealing from his, from his boss. And so someone tells on him, Right? They might do like a sting operation or something, get evidence, and, and then uh, they bring it to, uh, to his, his boss. So his boss is like, you know, what's going on here? Right? You're, you're whatever, you're uh, you know, running up expenses that, that you know are, are inappropriate, or maybe you're making sweetheart deals with friends and family that you're getting a kickback on the side, or you know, wh- whatever it is, you're, you're wasting my money, it's come to my attention, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be you can no longer be manager. In other words, you're fired, right? You're, you're busted. I, I, I know what you've been doing. You're fired. Give me your books. Hand them over. Clean out your desk. Today is your, is your last day. And the manager freaks out, right? He's thinking, I, I am overemployed as it is. Right? I, I soared under a lucky star to get this job, and I don't think that I'll be able to find another one like this. Uh, and, and this is a, a problem, right? Verse 3, what shall I do since my master is taking the management from me? I'm too strong to dig. I'm, too ash- I'm ashamed to beg. So, so he's, you know, weak, uh, ineffective, uh, you know, lazy. He can't cut it in the real world. He can't, you know, go get a manual labor job where he'd have to work up a, a sweat. He knows, rightly so, that, that everyone on the job site would be, working circles around him and that he'd probably get, you know, called out by the foreman immediately and, and you know, uh, fired. He's too, he's too proud. He's too arrogant to, to ask anyone for charity, despite the fact that he really does need people's charity. So, so you know, this, this manager has been kind of set up. It's been like the details have all kind of come together to show us that he's selfish, dishonest, untrustworthy, lazy, ineffective, weak, incompetent, arrogant, cocky, prideful, infatuated with himself, right? This is, a, this is a bad guy. By any standard, it's a bad guy. He's not a good role model. But then in verse 4, he gets an idea. I've decided what I'm going to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Like, seen the Grinch, when the Grinch stole Christmas, and he like hates the, he hates all the who's in Whoville down below, and he wants to stop Christmas from coming, and it says, but then the Grinch had an, an idea, right? He had a, a terrible, awful 
wonderful idea, right, to stop Christmas. So he says, I have an idea. I know what I am going to do. So summoning his master's debtors, verse 5, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? A hundred measures of oil. These are big clients. This is, uh, you know, the equivalent of 3,000 liters uh, of of olive oil. This would be the equivalent of about three years uh, wages. So we're talking thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Sit down quickly uh, and take your bill and, and write 50. So I'm not going to write it in my handwriting because then that would call into question, like we're going to try to trick my my master into thinking that the original deal that he made with you was for 50 and not, not 100. So this is, you know, Again, t- tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt, and, and he just says, no strings attached, no obligations, I'm cutting your debt in half, you can, you can thank me later. And then he finds another one. He says, how much do you owe? And he says, I owe 100 measures of wheat. That's 30 tons of wheat, right? This is the equivalent of uh, 10 years wages for, for a, a day laborer. So now we're not talking about tens of thousands of dollars anymore. Now we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he says, take your bill and write 80. Just carve off 20% right off the top, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in savings that I'm taking out of the pocket of my employer. I'm giving it to uh, his, his clients. And so, you know, you can imagine if you were the rich man who had employed this guy, you had plucked him out of obscurity, he wasn't necessarily qualified for the job that you had, but you wanted to be gracious and give him a job, he trusted him, you gave him access to all of your, all of your stuff, all of, you know, retirement, land holdings, pension, kids college, you know, in every, all of your equity, and you said, look, you have the master key to all my stuff, lend it out, make savvy deals, earn interest, invest, right? Make me richer and, and make yourself richer in, in the process, right? Take a percentage of the profits for yourself. I trust you to do what's in my best interest and I'm happy to pay you out of my own pocket to do, out of my own pocket to do it. And then he rips you off, right? He, he steals from you. He zeroes out several of your bank accounts, Right, you come back from a, a business trip and he's, the house is in disarray and he's, you know, drunk. He's sleeping in your bed. You know, he's just totally, you know, blown it chance after chance and eventually you have to fire him. And then when you do, he proceeds to, you know, zero out a bunch more of your bank accounts on his way uh, out the door because he's trying to, you know, he's trying to make sure that other people owe him favors so that he can call them in after he uh, is, is done. This, this manager's a bad guy, and he's exploiting this rich man for his own personal gain, and the man has every reason to be upset with him, every reason to be, to be angry, every reason to, to fire him and to call all of his friends and say, no one hire this guy, he's a bad guy. But in verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Right, you'd expect him to be mad, you'd expect him to put him on a do not hire list and hold a grudge, and instead he uh, commends this dishonest manager. Now, there, uh, scholars are all across the board on how to f- interpret this. Because it seems like the master is commend, or yeah, the master's commending this manager. Jesus, by extension, is commending this manager. So we have to like find a way to like to explain why he's not as bad as we might think that he is at first glance. So some guys say that uh, the, the manager is not actually giving away his master's money. He's giving away his own money because he worked on commission. And so he was entitled to a portion of the profits. And that's what he's giving away is his portion of the proceeds and not his manager. But that seems unlikely because it's a really hefty 
if, if that's his commission, it's a really hefty commission, right, to take 50% of this, this debt that he has kind of loaned out. Some guys say, well, he's actually doing what's right and holy because he's, he's bringing his master in line with, uh, with, with Jewish law. The book of Deuteronomy says you're not allowed to charge interest when you lend out to fellow Israelites. And so this manager is just taking this, like, overstep, this, like, financial uh, overreach that is his master's committing, and he's, like, remedying that. He's keeping him from, you know, inadvertently straying into, into sin. Uh, some guys say, some guys say he's looking out for his master's reputation because, uh, you know, uh, even though his, his actions are costing his master money, he's, it's like a loss leader in business, right? He's like trying to like make sure that his customer satisfaction is high so that all these people will remain, you know, in, in like, you know, faithful customers for years to come. Some guys say, well, these are, he'll never collect these debts. They're too high. All these guys are going to default on these debts. And so he's doing, he's doing what's smart and just getting what he can. He's basically thinking 50 cents on the dollar is better than nothing. 80 cents on the dollar is better than nothing. So I'm going to go ahead and get my master an influx of cash as opposed to uh, him never getting any money at all. All over the map, right? That's just three or four of them. There's, there's a, a bajillion of them. I tell you, this is a tricky passage to, to deal with. Um. But I, uh, again, the common thread with a lot of them is that if, if the master is commending this manager, and if Jesus, by extension, is commending the manager, then how can we get him off the hook for being as bad as it maybe looks like he uh, is, is being? But I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that any of those are the best way to interpret this passage, because I just think it's somewhat unavoidable that this is a bad guy. This manager is a bad guy. He was bad when we met him. He was bad when he got caught. He was bad when he's scheming and pulling this last con to kind of set himself up. So, so um, I don't, I, it seems like too, it's, it's, you have to do too much like fancy footwork to kind of uh, get this manager off the hook for being a bad guy. And if, you, and if we just take the, the, man, the master at his word, then it, maybe a more plausible explanation comes out, which is that he doesn't commend the manager uh, for being good or being moral or being uh, faithful. He commends the manager for being shrewd. Verse 8, right? The master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Right? So, so he's, he's not saying, you're good, you're wise, you're helping me with my reputation. You are. He's saying, you are savvy. You are, you're, you're scheming. You're like plotting and planning and, and preparing and calculating, right? right? He's not saying you're a good person and I approve of you and I affirm what you are, I affirm who you are and what you do and how you're acting. He's saying you're a bad person. You always have been, but I got to hand it to you. That was, that was, that was next level. That was like good. That, that was an, an impressive move on your way out the door. I didn't see it coming. That was shrewd. And that one is, uh, is, is savvy, right? Like if you if you come home and you got your house got robbed and so someone broke into your house and you had just like you know earlier that year you had bought the most expensive burglar proof safe that there is on the market spent thousands of dollars on this safe no one can crack it it's impossible for anyone it's like bomb shelter you know it, you can hit it with a bulldozer and this safe is going to remain protected and you get home and someone broke into your house and they broke into this really impressive safe that's supposed to keep everything safe. You'd be mad, right? And you'd be like, hey, all my valuables and all my important documentation and things like that. And you'd be really mad. You wouldn't think that's a good guy, but you'd be like, well, he's a good, 
He's a good safe cracker, though. Like he, that, was, that was an impressive move for him to be able to, to break into that. The, the manager's not commending, the master's not commending the manager in general. He's commending this one specific characteristic of, of shrewdness. And Jesus, by extension, is not, is not commending that we emulate this guy in his morality or his dishonesty, but he is recommending that we should aspire to be shrewd like, like this, this manager. Right? So, so unlike... Unlike this manager, we should be righteous and godly and honest and humble. There's verses all over the Bible that say to do those things, which this guy does not do. But in addition to all that, Jesus is saying, also be shrewd, be savvy, think ahead, visualize, or strategize, right? Don't, don't just spend all of your money and time and resources. Invest your money and time and, and resources. Make them, make them work for you and get a return on your in investment. Like Jesus did, right? Like, like Jesus who, you know, was in heaven, could have just stayed in heaven and spent his resources to ensure that his eternity was as comfortable as it could possibly be for all time. But instead he invested. He, he you know, leveraged his resources to come here and to die in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. He leveraged them so that he could get a return on his, on his investment. The return being uh, his people, the church, being reconciled to him and living with him forever and ever. So Jesus is saying, be like this manager, be savvy and shrewd and invest. Be like Jesus, be savvy and shrewd and invest. Think ahead. And then this next verse, and, and the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So Jesus says, you want to know what shrewdness, I'm, I'm commending you to be shrewd, like this manager, right? So you want to know what shrewdness looks like? Non-Christians display shrewdness all the time, right? Oftentimes, non-Christians are more shrewd, they're more savvy than Christians are. They make Christians look naive and foolish when it comes to uh, in investing, Again, don't, don't take your cues with respect to morality from non-Christians, but take your, your cues with respect to shrewdness and savvy from non-Christians. Right? This guy's clever. Right? This guy's clever. He had the foresight to know that he was about to get kicked out. He's about to become homeless. And so he needs to get out in front of it now. He needs to prepare for it now. So he takes what little time and money and authority and access and resources that he has right now, and he invests them in such a way that they will yield a return in his next life. That's what this manager does. And Jesus says, that's smart, and that's savvy, and I want you to be smart and to be savvy. The sons of this world, right? Turn on CNBC, right? Go to Forbes magazine and see all these gazillionaires, these sons of this world who appear by all accounts to be very shrewd with how they deal, you know, I like watching movies, but I don't like putting DVDs into DVD players. So I'm going to put a bunch of DVDs, I'm going to put a bunch of movies online and charge everyone 12 bucks a month to watch all of them that they want. And 10 years later, I'm billions of billions of dollars, right? My, so Apple, the company I used to work for, has on hand, cash on hand right now, liquid assets, $250 billion, right? Not what they're, that's not what their company's worth, right? They're, they're worth over a trillion dollars, but, but literally liquid cash on hand that they could use to just write a check for something, they, $250 billion, they could, they could, if they didn't make a cent 
for 50 years, they could continue operating exactly as they are with no profits, no revenue for the next 50, uh, 50 years. How'd they build it? How'd they build all this revenue? By, by foresight, imagination, let's, let's make a product that people will want, that they'll be willing to buy, and let's make it good. Let's make a profit when people buy it from us. Then let's reinvest our profits back into the company and use it to build more. Companies grow when, and they become financially strong when they make something good and reinvest their, their profits. Companies die when they overextend themselves, right? When their, when their burn rate of cash exceeds their incoming you know, revenue uh, cash flow. Right? Jesus is saying, like, look at, look, at the, look at people that are savvy and shrewd in the world and use that same kind of shrewdness and savviness with respect to your own eternity. Right? How, many, how many non-Christians are more savvy and wiser with their money as they invest for the last two decades of their life? then Christians are savvy and wise with their resources as they prepare for the next trillion years of their life. Right? Jesus is saying non-Christians have a playing field of a hundred years or less, and a lot of them are really shrewd, impressively shrewd. Christians are dealing with a playing field of trillions, I mean, eternal playing field, eternity. And so you have a very narrow window in which you can make investments, and then you have a massive window in which there is no more investing. There's only reaping the benefit, enjoying the returns of your investment. So look at, look at the shrewdest people that you can see and mimic that shrewdness and that savviness, right? You, you don't, don't, don't be an idiot, right? Don't, don't spend your life uh, squandering your money on, on things of this world, right? Don't, don't give away something that you cannot lose in order to gain something that you cannot keep, right? If you waste your time and money and resources on gadgets, toys, status symbols, luxuries, amenities. If you waste your money on that stuff, you're giving away something that you cannot lose in order to gain something that you cannot keep. And Jesus says, that's stupid. That's not, that's not a wise transaction to, to make. Don't, don't invest in the next four decades of your life at the expense of the next trillion years after that. So invest in eternity. Invest in eternity rather than investing in this life. Well, how do you, how do, you do that? Verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Another verse that's weird, um, especially if it's taken out of context. It might sound like Jesus is saying you should buy people off or, I don't know, bribe them or manipulate them with, with money. That's not what he's saying. It's, it's, it's very simple, right? Use your unrighteous wealth, that's money that you make here in this world, to make friends for yourselves. That means to invest in relationships, to invest in people and bless others so that they will appreciate you and be your friend so that when it fails, that's when you die, right? When you die and your money is no longer of any value to you and you stand before God and you have to give an account to God for how you lived your life and you have to explain every decision that you ever made and every dollar that you ever spent. Use unrighteous wealth to make friends for yourself so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. This means that when you die, you're going to stand before God 
God's going to welcome you into his presence for all of eternity and all of the people that you knew on earth who have all died before you and all gone to be with the Lord in heaven, they will already be there and they will welcome you and they will celebrate your arrival. They'll be glad that you're there because of how you invested in them while you were here on this earth. So strive to leverage your money and your time and your resources so that you're investing in relationships because unlike gadgets, unlike, you know, worldly commodities, relationships will stretch on. They will live on into eternity. You know what will be of absolutely no value in heaven at all? It will mean nothing at all? What kind of car you drove, right? What, uh, you know, how nice of a house you lived in, how cool and trendy and expensive your vacations were, how stylish your clothes were. None of that will matter at all in heaven for all of eternity. But you know what will matter is how much you invested in relationships and how much you invested in gospel ministry. And Jesus is saying, don't be an idiot. Like, be, pl- play the long game. Be wise. Be savvy. Invest in those things now while you can instead of wasting your money on silly things things for the sake of instant gratification. Use your money, use your time, use your resources to ensure that people can hear the gospel so that when you die, you'll go to heaven to be with Jesus and there will be a huge army of people there to welcome you when you arrive. Right, a huge army of people that will say, Thank you. Thank you for living below your means and then taking the difference and, and supporting a missionary who went to an unreached people group and proclaimed the gospel. And I heard it. I heard it. And now I repented of my sin and trusted in Jesus. And I'm in heaven with Jesus now instead of in hell forever because I heard the gospel. And I heard the gospel because of your investment in gospel ministry for me. Like, thank you. Welcome to these eternal dwellings with me. Right? Your neighbors who, you know, you had every opportunity to just drive home and go inside and watch TV, but instead you cultivate relationships with them and share with them about how Christ has changed your life and invite them to consider trusting in Christ too. And maybe you never even knew it, but they trusted Christ. And now they die. They go to heaven and they welcome you to heaven. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for investing in me so that I can enjoy eternal life with God. Welcome to these eternal dwellings right? Uh, guests from the night stay, right? Thank you for, for staying awake all night, even though you had to go to work early the next morning, even though I didn't seem appreciative at the, at the time, right? Thank you for, for being hospitable and ensuring that I had a safe place to sleep and a warm meal. And again, you didn't know it at the time, but I was watching and, and it reflected well on you and it reflected well on Jesus. And I came to know Christ and now I'm here with him forever instead of in hell forever. Jesus is saying, don't spend your money. Don't spend your time. Don't spend your resources. Leverage them and invest them for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of relationships and for the sake of people who are going to live forever. People who are are going to live forever either in heaven or in hell. So don't be short-sighted and don't be foolish. Rather, be shrewd and be savvy. Verse 10, the one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Jesus is saying, right now, in this world, in this life, how you steward your money, how you steward your time and your resources is a matter of faithfulness, right? 
It's a very small thing uh, that God has entrusted to you, but he's looking and he's watching to see if you're faithful, to see if you're honest, and to see if you are leveraging it well on things that are eternal rather than wasting it on things that are temporal and silly. Jesus is watching to see how you manage the things that he gives to you to take care of. Verse 11, if you then have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus is looking to entrust people with true riches, right? Spiritual stewardship, responsibility in the eternal kingdom of God, heavenly reward. Jesus has true riches that he is waiting and and longing to give to his people, but he only wants to give it to them if they prove themselves faithful, responsible, and trustworthy in the the things that they have right now, right? In, In the unrighteous wealth that they already have. So use your resources wisely. Be generous rather than selfish. Invest in eternity. Invest in others rather than wasting and spending on yourself. God will see it. God will entrust true spiritual riches to you. Then finally, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't, you can't love God, you can't serve God, you can't follow God if you love money more than you love God. You have to pick one, right? Uh, one of those two things, God or money, is going to be your ultimate goal, your ultimate God, the thing that you want more than anything else. And you have to pick. Do you love, worship, and serve God, or do you love, worship, and serve money? Right? And you can't delude yourself into thinking that you love God if you really love money more than you love God. Don't worship money. Don't worship things. Use your money. Use your things to worship God. Don't worship money. Worship God with your money. You either, you either love God and serve Him, or you love money and you serve money, but it cannot be both. And so Jesus is asking, He's asking his followers, will you be shrewd? Will you invest your time and your money and your resources wisely in eternity and in other people, or will you be foolish? Will you waste your time and your money and your resources? Will you fritter them away on the things of this life at the expense of your own eternity? Are you going to, are you going to let non-Christians outpace you? Are you going to let them uh, be more diligent and more savvy in how they invest in their 401k than how diligent and how savvy you are in investing in your own eternity? Or will you be faithful? And wise, will you use and leverage that which God has entrusted to you to invest in gospel ministry, relationships, and other people, and eternity, their eternity and your own eternity? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to be faithful stewards. We recognize, Lord, that you have given us far more than we deserve, and we are grateful. And yet, at the same time, Lord, we recognize that you never really gave it to us to own. You entrusted it to us to manage. And we pray that you would help us to manage it well by investing in the gospel and investing in people and investing in eternity.
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.